Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Anna Staver, and this is Ohio Politics Explained, a podcast where you give us 15 minutes and we give you all the news you need to sound smart and impress your friends when you go out this weekend. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Ohio Politics Explained, the never gonna get it edition. This week, we're talking about redistricting again, why Ohio kids are missing a lot more school during the pandemic, what is getting in the way of recreational marijuana, and how things went down during an argument between Ohio's Joyce Beatty and Hal Rogers of Kentucky. Co-piloting with me this week is reporter Laura Bischoff. Welcome back to the show, Laura. Hey, Anna. Thanks for having me. How's it going? Oh, super duper. Anyone in your family give themselves a pandemic haircut this week? No, but I saw the scene of the crime photo that you had of your daughter um, (laughs) self-administering a haircut. Yeah, it did not go as expected. And speaking of not going as expected, the Ohio Supreme Court rejected the second attempt Republicans made at drawing boundaries for the state House and Senate districts. The 3-4 majority said the new maps still didn't reflect statewide voter preferences over the last decade. And Senate President Matt Huffman then said he wasn't really sure that they could meet those preferences and maybe we should just move the May primary. Yeah. So, you know, for the readers that aren't following this along um, super closely, just keep in mind there are two fights going on, one over legislative maps and one over congressional maps. And the court has um, told politicos, hey, time to redo. And they've thrown them all out. They've thrown them all out. And now both fights are um, in front of the Ohio Redistricting Commission, which has, I think, till February 17th to redo the legislative maps. And then it's they're going to get working on the congressional maps. The House, the Ohio House is so divided that they didn't they couldn't get enough votes to get a map Uh, passed with an emergency clause so that it could take effect right away, which is required and needed because the filing deadline, TikTok, is March 3rd for these congressional races. And so anyway, so they punted to the commission. So now there's just a whole bunch of uh, political work to be done. Yeah. And so it's so crazy to me because they drew a set of maps for the state house and Senate and they went to the court and the court said no. And then they drew another set of maps and they went to the court and the court said no. And I'm just like, there's this fear, I think amongst, um, you know, our colleagues and amongst us that like, how many times are we going to do this? I guess until it's done. Um, (laughs) And, you know, Matt Huffman, uh, the Senate president of, a Republican from Lima, he's the one who floated this idea of doing two primaries yeah, so that they could bump the primary election for the legislative and congressional races. Those are the ones that rely on these squiggly map drawings, but then keep the statewide races for like governor and Senate on the uh, May 3rd primary date. It sounds super messy. It is super messy and it could be kind of costly because our colleague Jesse Balmert looked it up and it, it costs about $15 million or so to run a primary election. So to just have two, you know, it puts it on the taxpayers. Yeah. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. 
from the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. And our second topic is Ohio public schools. They have to track how often kids show up for class. And during the pandemic, a lot of students stopped coming. So Ohio defines chronic absenteeism as missing 10% of the school year, which is about 18 days. And before the pandemic, 16% of kids were chronically absent. But last school year, that number jumped to one in four. And in some districts like Columbus, the number hit 74%. Like, Think about that for a second. Three-fourths of the kids in Columbus public schools missed like 10% of the school year. It's stunning. Right. And so 10% of the school year, that's 18 days out of 180 days. And and there are kids who are missing 20, 20% of the school year. Yeah, one in 10. I mean, and that is six weeks of school time. So, you know, what kind of impact does this have on like academic achievement? So a lot of different... People who study education outcomes say that actually attendance is a better predictor than test score for things like graduation rates. And it makes sense, right? Like at its basic level, if you're not going to class, you're not going to do well on tests. And it's sort of the stepping stone to not graduating. And they basically say there are certain years that are super critical, like first grade, third grade, ninth grade. And it makes sense in the early years, they're sort of foundational for reading and writing. And if you can't do that well, then you're going to struggle with everything that comes afterwards because like you need to read your science book or your math book. Right. I mean, if you're not attending, then you're not engaged in what's going on. So I did want to ask you, you told me, I know the answer to this question, but for the benefit (laughs) of our listeners, how did you get started on this story? So Dr. Stephanie Siddons, who is the state superintendent, gave this presentation to a Senate committee late last year. And she threw out the number that like one in four kids were chronically absent. And I was like, wait, what? That seems like really high. And it turns out that it's a problem nationwide. And it's also a particular problem with economically disadvantaged students. Their number was 37%. Students with disabilities were at 33%. And Black students were at like a really stunning 47%. You know what I like about this little tidbit is that that's how we get started on a lot of stories. It's a matter of just being curious and listening and paying attention. Yeah, it's one of those things where you hear the number and you're like, I'm sure I heard that wrong. Exactly. <laughs> you know what I think is cool in the story is there is a searchable database that people can easily look up um, the absenteeism rates by their school district, by yeah. their school building all across the state. It's definitely worth checking out. Yeah. And one of the things I wanted to point out is like, because I kind of learned it during the story is when you think of kids missing class, you think of like some like quote unquote, like bad kid cutting class. But the reality was the reasons were all over the map. Some of them were I don't have transportation, like I missed the bus and nobody's at home to take me. Or I had to go stay with grandma during the day during remote learning and she didn't have internet. Or I have, um, I don't have access to clean clothes or I don't have an alarm, like just like a physical alarm clock. One of the women I interviewed who's a court liaison, like keeps alarm clocks in her bag and will teach the kids how to set them up and how to like set reminders on their phones. Yeah. And some of those basics like, um, you know, kids might be embarrassed if they don't have clean clothes. Uh, you know, schools do have laundry machines. Yeah. And they discreetly do the laundry for the I know. For the I students. had no idea. But it makes sense. If you don't have a, a, a washer dryer in your apartment and your parents aren't taking it to the laundromat because either they can't afford it or they don't have time because they're working multiple jobs, like you're kind of stuck in a really difficult position. Exactly. Our third topic is cannabis and why a plan to legalize recreational marijuana might go up in smoke. 
the coalition to regulate marijuana like alcohol got enough signatures to put the issue before state lawmakers. And the lawmakers have four months to come up with a plan, but Matt Huffman says that's just not going to happen. He was pretty clear when he talked with reporters, including Jesse Ballmer, and said, I don't want anyone to misunderstand my position. I'm not going to bring it to the Senate floor. And if that means people want to put it on the ballot, have at it. You know, also, if even if it made through the legislature, um, Governor DeWine has said that he opposes this as well. So it looks like this is sort of dead in the water. I think that they lawmakers have until early May to pass, amend, uh, or ignore this. And it looks like they're going to ignore it. And at that point, the um, coalition behind this regulate marijuana like alcohol proposal has to go collect another 133,000 signatures in order to get it on the statewide ballot. This is called the state-initiated statute process, yep. which is, um, I think it's been in the Ohio Constitution since like 1912, 1910, oh, wow. something like that. And it's a it's a really powerful um, uh, tool for citizens to use, but it's also really difficult. Like this two-step, go collect 133,000 signatures, wait four months, and then go collect another 133,000, and then run a campaign. It's I'm- onerous. And there's rules like they have to come from a certain number of counties like you can't just all collect like you can't collect all those from Columbus, basically. The last time a state initiated statute passed into law was the indoor smoking ban in 2006, which I would argue was probably the biggest single leap forward for public health in Ohio history. Prior to that, it had been 50 years before citizens got a law passed on their own. Oh, wow. Yeah. um, You know, it actually when um, medical marijuana came up. It actually, the lawmakers took that up and decided to write the law themselves, but they're not taking the same position with recreational. Right. In 2015, it was Responsible Ohio, and they were going for a constitutional amendment, which is a, a similar but separate uh, process. Yeah. And and you're right, like it that the voters said no to that, but then the lawmakers kind of said, you know, this is coming, and if we want to control the parameters of it, then we need to, you know, get started. So our fourth and final topic is Ohio Representative Joyce Beatty. She got into an altercation this week with a Republican from Kentucky over masks, and it made national news. So for those of you that don't know, there's a subway system under our nation's capital that lawmakers can take. It's super cool for political nerds like me who have gotten the chance to ride on it. But anyway, uh, Beatty says she was getting on the train when Representative Hal Rogers was boarding without a mask. She asked him to put one on. He did not. And that's where things escalated. Beatty said Rogers poked her in the back and then told her to, well, kiss his ass. Rogers later apologized after Beatty tweeted about the altercation, but I really think it highlights how divided we all still are over masks. I think it definitely highlights the division on masks, but it also shows that like the the standards of decorum in politics has really been kind of circling the drain in recent years. And I think that, you know, the fact the fact that you have like an 84-year-old Kentucky Republican poking a 72-year-old Columbus Democrat in the back and and using an expletive. <laughs> not a good look. Yeah. Not a good look at all. And he, the only reason why he apologized, I think, is because he got called out on it and it got it flared up in uh, in national national news. And the thing is with Joyce Beatty is, you know, some dumb dumb in the national media described <laughs> Representative Beatty as quiet and demure in some article mm, recently. No, no, and I was no, like, no, no, wrong. No, 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 no. She is feisty and sharp and she is not going to be pushed around. No, I, I wallflower is not the word I would ever use with her. Exactly. And one more thing before you go. We asked folks on Twitter to tell us what would be on their redistricting playlist. And people had 
all the feelings. You know, there was the Rolling Stones, Can't Always Get What You Want, Over and Over by Nelly, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, The Waiting, and one just from uh, Chief Justice Maureen O'Connor, which was That Don't Impress Me Much. So what was your favorite one, Laura? Well, my suggestion was Matchmaker, Matchmaker from Fiddler on the Roof can be replaced with Map Maker, Map Maker. And also, I really liked the uh, This is the Song That Never Ends by every kid around a campfire or in the backseat during a long road trip. (laughs) And if you want to jump in and add a song to our growing list, you can find Ohio Politics Explained on Twitter at Ohio Explained. And if you just want to see the list of songs we've already compiled, we've got a Spotify playlist and we're going to drop that into the show notes. And if you want to learn more about any of the topics we've covered, check us out online at any of the newspapers in our network, like the Minerva News Leader. That's the-review.com backslash Minerva. 